0: Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. If you've been hanging in the last couple of weeks, you may remember that two weeks ago, I talked about the three things that make our lives the most miserable in terms of causing pain in the body and anxiety in the soul. And they are uh, self-criticism, worry, and pressure, especially pressure we put on ourselves to get things done. So. As you know, I set out on a cleanse. And my first cleanse, which I announced last week, was to cleanse myself of self-criticism. And instead of criticizing myself, I decided I would step back when I noticed criticism happening and be aggressively kind to myself, hardcore kindness. Some of you said it should be hardcore kindness, and that is so clever, and I wish I'd thought of it, but I didn't. So I'm gonna give that back to you and say, you go, you like rule the world with that. It's amazing. This week, oh, and I I asked you how you were doing and I hope some people will send in the chat maybe a thing like, yeah, I know I'm doing well with that. I have found it transformative, you guys. Like it's, It is something I have to do deliberately. It never goes into just automatic mode. And there's a reason for this. I talk about it all the time. We have in the brain something called a negativity bias that makes us pay more attention to things that are dangerous or troubling or problematic because that way we can clean them up, get away from them, do the things we have to do, which is fine unless you have a human brain that stores this negativity as a kind of system where it remembers the things that went wrong. imagines new things that could go wrong and then starts telling stories about that that scare us even more than the world around us. Okay, so self-criticism does that and it can build up and build up and build up until you've got a dictator in your brain. And we talked last week about switching out the dictator with someone kind, with like, I don't know, Mary Poppins, someone firm and, you know, sort of gonna keep us on a path to happiness, but really nice and takes us for adventures. So yeah, I've been doing that and it has created so much less junk in my brain. I can almost not believe it. I really like to just sit. (laughs) Adam, my son with Down syndrome, he's like, Sometimes between his workouts and his hikes and the various things he does in his room and is playing his games, you'll find him just lying on his bed. (laughs) And he'll say, Adam, what are you doing? You bored? He's like, no, I'm relaxing. And you say, oh, you want to do something else? No, I'm relaxing. And this is a man who has no painful thoughts in his head. So when he relaxes, he's just enjoying himself, enjoying himself, this last week, I honestly can say, I've been enjoying being myself, which is, you know, it's always got its wonderful points. I'm very, very blessed, but just to continuously enjoy being myself, it's getting, getting much, much better. So I'm still on my no self-criticism cleanse, but this week I wanted to add in component two, worry. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys have brought your worries with you. I'm sure you have. We take them everywhere we go, don't we? Um, And and we're going to have a little lesson on how to get out of the worried state. Because the worried state, like the self-critical state, is not real. It is a, a product of a little bit of observation and a whole lot of imagination plus the negativity bias. And it does not help. the vast majority of the worrying we do does not help anybody with anything. It doesn't even involve situations that are really going on. And what it does is it puts into the world one more extremely worried person. And God knows there are plenty of people right now who have really, really solid reasons to be worried. And in those cases, like as we look at the horrors that are going on like all over the world, Ukraine is getting our attention right now, but there are plenty of places where people are under dire straits. And those people are in action, I promise you. And those of us watching are trying to help them, you know, get to a safe place, get around safe people, find a way to make the system work better if you can. All these things that are really require action, that's not worry. That's noticing a situation and then doing something about it. So my friend Gavin DeBecker, the expert on fear, says worry doesn't create Oh, he, he says, real fear, clean fear, doesn't create a feeling, it creates action. If you're afraid of something and you're not acting, you're, there's no action implication, that's just worry. And it wears you down, it it turns your nervous system, and you might as well take a, a cheese grater to your nervous system, it is not good for you. Keeps you awake, makes you miserable, destroys your health, sustains neuroplastic pain, all this stuff. So. I, this week have been studying up the last few days to say, what will I talk to the folks on the gathering room about when we discuss a worry cleanse? Yes, we're going to try to get away from worry. And this is what I found. First of all, if you are worrying, you are in a state of fight or flight. If you try to do anything creative or soothing or whatever from within a state of fight or flight, you won't succeed because the fight or flight, this is the left side amygdala. You know, I love to talk about this. As long as that's active and freaking out, the the left side, um, hi- hippo- I keep thinking the left side hippopotamus, the left side hypothalamus is going to go, okay, I've got to control this. And then it shoots back another fear impulse to the amygdala, which shoots more fear into the uh, hi- hippocamp- hippocampus and like, not the hippocampus, the hypothalamus, the hippopotamus. You don't want a frightened hippopotamus in your head. I learned that in South Africa. Mm, Enough said, mic drop. Now, if you go in at the moment that you're really panicking, there's not much constructive work you can do because that little cycle on the left side of the brain will just eat up every ounce of your energy and attention. So what you do at that point is you, you, Create the same sense experiences that you would offer to a frightened animal. So if your dog is, if it's a thunderstorm and your dog is freaking out because he's afraid of thunder, you don't like try to teach him to sit, stay, you know, roll over, play dead. You just like calm him down. And this is what you need to do with your own frightened self. So I have been listening online to people who just whisper positive affirmations to me. And I do this at night because that's when my brain is like, it goes, and then it will hit a worry and I'll wake up again, which is why I've had insomnia for a lot of my life. But lately I've been putting on these recordings and they're specifically meant to stimulate something called the autonomous, um, autonomous, A-S-M-R and somebody's going to tell me what that means in a minute i remember it's four words <laughs> autonomous something roe is looking it up for me anyway what this is is it's a it's a nerve reaction and i seriously think that it evolved to help babies go to sleep when someone's holding them in a dangerous situation because it, it happens on the back of your neck and not everybody has it, but I've always had this. When I hear a certain type of vocal sound and especially a whispered sound, I get these delicious little tingles on the back of my neck. Anybody else had this? And it goes up and down into your scalp and it's so soothing that it makes you just wanna be really still and then like extend your head like this and, and get really quiet and close your eyes and typically it puts people to sleep. So I've been listening to these things. I put them on my phone and stick them on the pillow by my head. And somebody's whispering to me as I sleep, everything's fine. You're okay. It's all going to be okay. And and then in the morning, I uh, listen to the Bob Marley song, which I put as the title of, in the, well, some of the lyrics I put in the title of, this gathering room session, every little thing is going to be all right. I sing that song, every little thing is going to be all right. Don't worry. So if you sing and say those words, if you hear them whispered as you go to sleep, I really recommend the ASMR stuff because it's a physiological response that it's very bizarre how it calms you down and puts you to sleep. So that's my recommendation. And then you sing songs and then you lower your breath. We've talked about just plain physiological things you can do. You lower your breath rate, that's the first thing. You get your motions slower and lower, lower the tone and volume of your voice, try looking softly around the room, soften everything. All of this is to get your left hemisphere to give up its little cycle of worry and, and take a breath. Now at this point, when you're starting to relax a little, I have been out online researching what are the three top things you can do to alleviate worry. Well, I didn't find them. I found the three top things that people do when they are worried because the negativity bias means that's what gets written down. So I have here the top three. I have a little note that I made to myself. And what I've been doing is just turning around these three tendencies that make people feel worried. If you've done the Byron Katie work, Byron Katie, my favorite spiritual teacher, um, she likes to take a negative statement, something that's frightening us, and then turn it around to the exact opposite to see if the exact opposite might be true. I, I don't know if you can hear it, but my dogs are freaking out because no one is up there being calm and stimulating ASMR in the back of their necks. Okay, so what do people do? Number one, they anticipate problems. Oh my gosh, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, and it could. Like infinite things could happen. And as we start to imagine them, we get better at at imagining bells and whistles. I know someone who started out by imagining that her ex-boyfriend would be mad at her and ended up imagining that he might be part of some kind of organized crime that would take out a hit on her. Was he a part of organized crime? I sincerely doubt it. But she saw a TV show about organized crime and her ex-boyfriend fit into that, uh, that category for her. So she started imagining and worried herself sick. So if you're anticipating a problem it's probably not going to happen, as Roy Rogers said. Worrying works because nothing I worry about ever happens. So instead of anticipating problems, if you find yourself anticipating a problem, don't just try to go to zero. Turn it around, anticipate something wonderful. And this happens to me, like when I've been in the worst moments of my life, and I know a lot of people who, who have strongly resilient um, psychology, and they really do this. Something super bad happens, and the first thing they're thinking is, what if something wonderful comes out of this? Like, I remember when I was pregnant with my son and I was keeping all these notebooks because I was so panicked because he had Down syndrome and I didn't know what would happen to him. And I was writing down all these fears, but then I would also write down, but what if, what if this takes me into a whole new life? What if there's a whole new realm? True, I did become psychic a little bit during that pregnancy. Not so much anymore, but during that pregnancy. And that made me think, okay, maybe, just maybe, the whole world is way more magical than I thought. What might happen in that world? And I sent my imagination to anticipate these amazing things that were no more unlikely than the awful things I was imagining, and they made me feel better, so there you go. And yes, when they sent me the copy of my book that I wrote about that experience, the first hardcover copy, it was a picture of a woman walking through a field of snow and it showed her from the back. So that was me. And there was a light around her. And I was like, holy smokes. While I was writing in my journal, I never really imagined anything as wonderful as getting copies of my own brand new book published by a real publisher in the mail, but look what's happening now. That's what came of it. So the the great adventures that I'd imagined actually came true more than the problems. Okay, the second thing is focusing on negative events, negativity bias. Focus on the positive events. That's pretty simple. It's as old as count your blessings, which has been a strategy since biblical times as far and before as far as we know. People who sit around counting their blessings feel better than people who sit around counting the curses. I, I saw this one uh, movie on happiness, a documentary. They went looking for the happiest people in the world. And one of the happiest groups were these um, Siberian trappers. They're hunters. They live by hunting and trapping in the woods of Siberia in the taiga, which is desolate, freezing, terrifying. And there's this one scene where this man, he's been out checking his traps and he's got his dog with him and he's got a little tin cup that's all bashed up and he makes a fire with flint and he makes a little bit of tea in the cup and he's sitting in this endless, dark, snowy thing and he's sipping his tea and he's going, oh my God, tea, a fire, a dog, I mean, How much goodness can one person get? He's just like so focused on the positive and it just lifts you up watching him. So when you find yourself focusing on the negative, let that be a trigger to turn around and notice something positive. There is something positive, I promise you. And finally, posing what if questions is one of the characteristics of worry. But what if this happens? What if that happens? And again, turn it around. What if something amazing happens? What if everything turns out great? what if I get to meet, what if I meet someone wonderful tomorrow? What if I get a new friend? It's just, it's the same strategy three times because it's the same strategy for worry three times. Anticipating problems, focusing on negatives and posing what if questions, just turn them around. Anticipate joys, focus on the positive and say, what if something great is happening? What if something awesome goes down next week? So I've been doing that for about two days Along with the ASMR, it's fine. You're okay. And it's working so far. And when it stops working, I just do it again. Just do it some more. I am determined. And some of you have questions, so here we go. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. All right, it's called the Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. That's the ASMR, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And oh, if you've never felt it tickle your neck, it's time, folks. Okay, so Mary Ann says, how can we tell the difference between a worry and our inner knowing? Wonderful question. Inner knowing, even when it tells us danger is in the room, makes us calm. And I have experienced this. I know it to be true. When I was in, I was in a car once that hydro, I was driving alone, and the car hydroplaned and started to twist. Uh, it was just floating on, you know, this little film of water on the road, and it went across three or four lanes, just twirling, and I had no control of the car at all. And I got so incredibly calm. And I've talked to a lot of people who've been in accidents who got the same kind of calm because when your instincts say danger is real. It has no time for worry. It says, calm down. And it slowed down my brain. I saw this great um, study where they they actually studied the way the brain slows down in danger by making these graduate students hold um, a number generator that was going very, very rapidly. So you couldn't really see it count one, two, three, four. You'd just see one, nine, seven. And they would hold this and look at it. And then they would jump off a bungee jump platform. And as they went down, plummeting through space, Everything slowed and they could read each number as it came up. So the brain literally slows down when you're actually in danger and it will tell you very calmly, this is what you do now. I've talked to soldiers from, who have felt this in combat. Um, it's really miraculous and it gives, if you hold it right, it gives you more trust. So in my case, it's like, oh yeah, you're supposed to take your foot off the brake Turn in the direction of the skid so that your wheels can. I mean, like all my driver's ed stuff came right back. Just, that's how you know that your inner self is speaking to you, it's calm. And it had an action implication for me. If you're anxious and uh, that's not your inner knowing, never. All right, so uh, Dr. Donna says, is there any time when worry is a good thing? I often think worry gets me motivated. If I worry someone is angry, I'm more likely to get something done, but I hate the worry part. Here's the other thing. Yeah, the worry part hurts and is nasty. And I don't like, as Daffy Duck once said, I'm not like other people. I don't like pain, it hurts me. So I don't like worry, it hurts me. And what I would ask you is if you're motivated by worry that someone is angry at you, are you really doing what's coming from your heart's desire or are you doing something to placate other people? In the last couple of gathering rooms, I've talked about how um, I heard from Luis Mohica, a wonderful somatic therapist, that there are four responses to fight or flight. One is runaway flight, one is fight, um, one is freeze. <clears throat> Maybe they won't notice me. And the, the last one is fawn. And this is a social response where if someone is dangerous, because the most danger that comes to us in our lives comes from other human beings. So if someone is dangerous, we fawn on them and we, we, we get you know very people-pleasy and we know exactly what to do, whatever that person wants us to do. But my whole last book that I wrote is about how that fawning response, that doing what you're pressured to do takes you away from your true nature so that you don't even know what's right for you. And that will increase your fear because now your true self is going, why, why did you abandon me for that idiot? Why, what? And um, so yeah, use that. That's a good thing if you're getting stuff done and making a living by worrying and pleasing others, but consider taking some time off that and saying, if I were not worried at all, that someone's mad at me, what would I do then? Okay, Catherine, oh, so many Catherines, so little time. Hi, Catherine, she says, I have constant worry about illness for myself and others as we've experienced so much death due to illness in our family. Yeah, I totally understand that. And we, let's face it, death is very, very frightening and happens not only to us, but all our loved ones. And that is, you know, whole huge books have been written on the idea that all of human psychology is the denial of of death, um, to quote Becker. Um, So this is the most scary thing of all. But, okay, so fear of illness, okay. Does it make you wash your hands? Does it make you wear a mask? Does it make you stay away from, you know, places that are where you're sure to get infected? Good then, that's active proactive self-protection, but constant worry about illness is itself a kind of illness. It causes suffering, it reduces your immune responses and it can help you get sick. Now you're worried about that. See, it works in a spiral. So first thing, Catherine, with illness as with anything else, that's just the particular form your worry is taking right now. It's anticipating problems and the ones it sees have lately, it's been illness in your family and death you know, pandemic, all of that. It's been focusing on the negative events that have been happening. How many days have you not been sick? And it's been posing what if questions, what if I get sick? So try turning it around, anticipate health. What would it be like if you were healthy? Um, Look at the, the parts of your body that are healthy. I do that sometimes when I feel a bit bashed up and I have fibromyalgia, I'm like, yeah, but my nose is fine today. And then if my nose gets an infection, I'll be like, yeah, but my big toes are doing well. And just focusing positive attention on health is a way to increase health. Whatever we focus on with our attention tends to grow in the brain. And what grows in the brain works with the whole body-mind system and can help affect our health as well. So try just calming your nervous system first. Remember that part and then gently introducing turnarounds. But the calming comes first, Catherine. If you're constantly worried, you got to calm down the left side of your brain first. Ah, so try ASMR. Stacy says, hi, thank you for sharing your gifts with, oh, thank you. I wonder if uh, I'm in a worried state. I am not able to remember these skills to do. Is there a mini step, step to switch out of worry? Yes, indeed. Um, I would use the the first step is to reduce your breathing rate and just say, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. There's a beautiful song by a singer called Nightbird and she was dying of cancer. And she wrote this beautiful song where she just sings over and over. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. If you're lost, we're all a little lost. And it's okay and that way she made she died recently she passed away but she made her illness into a time of greater wisdom greater sweetness um and more life you know how are you going to spend this one wild and precious life if you're going to spend it worrying maybe just spend your time saying it's okay it's okay it's especially nice nice if you can calm down an animal or a child it helps you calm yourself down Okay, Becky said there are lots of good videos for ASMR on Instagram too. Awesome textures and colors to watch that are calming. Mm-hmm. Wonderful things to just oh, keep your nervous system so jolly. My, I have a daughter who loves to watch people just mixing paint colors. It's awesome. Okay, and Lisa says I am currently having trouble with people I care about worrying about me. Also a pattern in my childhood. How do I separate? from their worry while remaining in connection with them. I said this spontaneously to someone the other day, and she said, oh, I'm gonna write that down. And I thought, oh, good. I said, your loved ones, they have to have suffering and worry in their life. It's part of the human experience. It's part of what gives us wisdom and compassion. So if, if your loved ones are worried, that's for them. That's their birthright. Take your hands off it. Let them have it. And then you can do the same things with them that you're doing with yourself, it's okay. Every little thing's going to be all right. Imagine good things. What is good in the room? What is good in my life? What if something wonderful happens? If they don't like you talking that way, that's okay. Let them have their worry. They'll suffer until they get over it or not. But you don't need to go there with them. And you can be the one in the room feeling great while they worry about you and there's really nothing you can do to take their birthright of worry away from them, but they may want to follow your example, who knows? Okay, by the way, trying to control them, not a thing, not going to happen, so take your hands off that too. All right, so Jody says, can Martha speak to a scenario where bad things happened in a childhood? Um, This is tiny print. Since your system knows bad things can happen it knows that if it happens, you'll go on, sorry, I don't have my glasses. Read that out for me, Ro, would you? Um, can Martha speak to a scenario where bad things happened in childhood, since your system knows bad things can happen? Is it knowing that it happens, you'll go into clean fear and act? Oh yeah, so she's asking, is, is, you, something bad happened to you in childhood, so you know that bad things can happen. But she says, if your system, Can you know that if if something bad happens, you'll go into clean fear and be able to act and that will calm you down? Yes, that is exactly right. You learn to trust yourself. And if you've had a terrible childhood, again, you can say, oh gosh, that, that that proves that bad things can happen. And to me specifically, and you can get really focused on that. Or you can say, I have incredible spider senses because I was raised in a crazy dangerous environment. Again, Gavin, Gavin De Becker, who's great at keeping people safe, grew up in one of the least safe places you can imagine. Check out his book, The Gift of Fear, if you want to read about a really terrible childhood. And he's constantly focused on how safe he is. And he keeps other people safe because his instincts, his intuition is honed by the experience of danger. So yay, you have a superpower, good job. All right, just a couple more. Tracy says, do we worry about the bad things so that it protects us and lessens the shock and pain? That is the ostensible reason. One of my friends used to say, I'm inoculating myself against disappointment by just assuming things will go wrong. And she would say this humorously because she knew it wasn't true. Imagining bad things does not protect us from bad things. It makes us more likely to experience the bad things. And even before the bad things happen, we're already suffering. So that is the ostensible logic behind worry. This will help, but it doesn't, it doesn't. Put this on your, on your phone at night. It doesn't help to worry, everything's okay. No, it really, it's not, there's nothing productive in worry. I've been looking and I haven't found it. Jessica, final question says, what do I do when my soul doesn't believe everything is going to be all right? Because of, uh, gosh, this is, Hang on. What do I do when my soul doesn't believe everything is going to be all right because of so many bad outcomes in the past? When I use things like that to calm myself, my soul seems to feel mocked. Ah, so she says, um, it doesn't believe that everything's going to be all right because so many bad outcomes in the past make her feel like I'm mocking my soul when I say everything's going to be all right. I'm mocking my soul um, because it's not true. Well, first of all, I'm going to, I know we're over time, but I'm going to slow down my voice and lower my vocal tone. Because to, to write that question, you have to be in a state of, of some pain, some suffering. And I have great respect and compassion for anybody who's feeling that way. So I don't want you to feel attacked when I say that the soul, your soul, really, truly knows that everything is going to be all right. You're not mocking your soul when you say that. You're trying to find access to it, but your mind feels mocked. The soul is so powerful and universal that it's not, it does not worry about being mocked. You can't mock the soul. It will just say, oh, sweetheart, I see you. I love you. But the ego feels mocked very easily. The mind the calculating left side of the brain that's trying to make everything okay. So that's the part that might be getting a little bit like, how dare you? And that's okay, that's great. It's that you've got a really, really vigilant control brain going on there. But keep breathing slowly and keep being kind to the part of yourself that is frightened and that says, how dare you mock me with your everything's gonna be all right. Just gently, kindly hardcore kindness to that part of yourself because everything that is going to be all right at the end of the day when we die, I mean I could be wrong but I really believe that either we will go into blissful non-existence or we will go into the blissful permanent existence that we have always been even during this brief sojourn in these bodies that change day-to-day. We're never the same day-to-day. Our bodies, but our souls, they've always been okay. They always will be okay. And every little thing's going to be all right. So thank you guys a million times for coming today. I love hanging out with you. Thanks for putting up with my technical issues today, and um, do a do a, a worry cleanse this week, and we'll see how it comes out when we have the gathering room next week. Mwah, 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 mwah. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious, and this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your north star it's a bewildering moment to be alive that's why martha beck me and rowan mangan me created bewildered the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us.